to turn then to 1 Peter chapter 2. We have two verses that we're looking at this morning, verses 11 and 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Peter says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evil doers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, I remind you that uh, Peter has been putting a great deal of emphasis on the word, the word of God. In uh, this context, in, at the end of chapter 1 and in chapter 2. And then he talks about the fact that we have been chosen, look at verse 9, that we are royal, we are holy, we are a special people in God's sight. Now, being those things, chosen, royal, holy, special, does not ingratiate us with the world. Because God, who is holy, God, who is certainly is royal, he is the king, God, who is the special one, is not any of those things to the world. God is to be neglected. God is to be forgotten about. He is to be marginalized. He is to be given perhaps a place on uh, the uh, the outskirts of our thinking and of our lives in this world. Daily, we do not think about God, or at least that's the world's view. And even when they do think about God, they have misconceptions about who he is, what he's like, and uh, what they are like. And they never really think about bringing the two concepts together, the true God and themselves. But as you can see from this passage, there is such a day. This is a day when God will get glory, verse 12. It's a day called the day of visitation, or it could be uh, rendered the day of judgment, because that's what it is, the day when people will have to give an account for their lives and for the way that they have or have not treated and honored their creator. We'll get back to that at the end of the sermon. But Peter picks up on the language of chosen, royal, special in verse 11 and sums them all up with two other words, sojourners and pilgrims. Sojourners and pilgrims. This passage, by the way, verses 11 and 12, begins a set of exhortations from Peter in this middle section of the letter, which is going to last until the end of chapter 4. So he has a lot that he's going to say from this point to the end of chapter 4, that he's going to exhort us on how we are to live 
in this world. And some of the advice, some of the uh, admonitions that he's going to give, they are for circumstances that are very difficult. There are circumstances of persecution and suffering. I wish that I could say that God will take away persecution and suffering for Christians if they just call upon him, but I'm afraid that is not the recipe that we have here in First Peter. In First Peter, it is having grace and having a special outlook within that context, which is what glorifies God most. So remember this as we go through, and I will try to uh, recall it as we go through this middle section. Peter does not command his audience. He begs them. He supplicates. And the reason that he does that is that he's already said that we are to love one another. He already has put a lot of emphasis on loving communion. And so... Um, he doesn't want to issue a command. He wants to be as one of them. And he calls himself and he calls the saints of that day and the saints of today, these two words, as we've seen, sojourners and pilgrims, and they are two different terms. They uh, are related, but they're worth also separating and keeping in mind as for their their different kind of nuances. The first one, sojourners, or as the old King James says, strangers, speaks to the fact that we are temporary residents. We're temporary residents. A sojourner is somebody who uh, is just, you know, they, they, they take root for a while at a place, but they're, they're not there permanently. They're not there forever. A sojourner, because they are a stranger, because they are uh, of that attitude, they expect to be leaving at some point. So they have that attitude of, yes, I'm here for a while, but then I'll be moving on. So think of uh, somebody who has a job, for example, where they move around the country, maybe uh, at a hospital. So they they work at a hospital, perhaps for a year, but they expect that by the end of that year they'll be moving on to another place, to another hospital, maybe another part of the country. That's the idea. And so that's one of the thoughts that we are to have constantly in our minds about our residency here on earth that we are going to move on. We are temporary residents. And then this idea of pilgrims. Well, a pilgrim is somebody who's on his way somewhere. And he's on his way to a particular place. And here again, I'm going to plug Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. Because Pilgrim, the Christian there, in that great book, he is on his his way to a particular place, to the celestial city. That's where he's going. He doesn't have anywhere else in mind. Now, he does get 
off the way a, a few times, once at the beginning, once about halfway through. He gets off the, the, the road because he is enticed or he is fooled or he is told there's a shortcut. But really, the idea here is that he's going to a particular place. Now, if we're believers, if we are Christians, if we are born with the, the seed, as it were, of the word and the spirit of God has renewed us, we are on our way to a certain place. We're not, there's not a variety of, of destinations that we're on our way to. There's one destination. That destination is the kingdom of God. Whether it's manifested now for those that pass on before Christ's return in heaven or whether it's heaven come to earth when Christ returns, that kingdom is where we belong. It's where we're going because our citizenship is there. Not here. People of the world who are unbelievers and who believe in the gods of this world or the different uh, attractions of this world, they feel rooted here. They're citizens of this world. But you are not if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You've got to understand that because your five senses is going to tell you that you are, that you belong here just as much as unbelievers belong here, but you don't. The reality of the situation is you're a pilgrim and pilgrims go on pilgrimages. And so you're on a pilgrimage. You're moving through. Now, this is extremely helpful, extremely helpful to us as we contemplate living in this world. Because we can say when the bad times come, we can say when the pain comes or when boredom comes or you name it. I'm just passing through. This is maybe what I have to deal with right now for a short time, but this is not a forever experience. This is not anything but a temporary blip. Just as Pilgrim had to meet his foes, and his disappointments on his way to the celestial city, so do we. But we are on our way. And we need to tell ourselves, when we feel too rooted in this world and in this life, that we are on our way home. We may also think about ourselves as resident aliens. Resident aliens. You know, we're here, but we don't belong here. Okay? That's another way of looking at ourselves. There's no better way of grasping our Christian identity than this. And this will help you in your Christian life. This will help you in your prayer life. This will help you in dealing with the frustrations of life. You know, several of you come to me over the last few uh, weeks and talk to me about frustrations that you're having at work, dealing with difficult people or dealing with ridiculous uh, rules or situations that you have to put up with. 
I fully understand. But if you go to that place of work with this mindset that you're just a sojourner, you're just a pilgrim, that would help so much to put these annoyances into their right contexts. They're not as important as they may seem. And so we need to understand this idea about ourselves. We are sojourners and pilgrims. If you want to just use one word, I'd say use the word pilgrim because it conjures up, I think, everything that we need uh, to understand what our life is to be here and what our outlook is to be in this world. Now, where are we as far as our destination is concerned? Can we see as Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress occasionally got to see the celestial city from a distance? Are we at that place where we can go to a mountaintop and we can see heaven? We can see our final destination? Now I'm afraid that we don't have that glimpse. We may by faith call it to mind. But we still need to have that same mindset because we're, we're pretty close to home. Especially those of us that have, you know, had a few decades behind us. We're closer and closer. And we ought to be able to envisage the finish line. That will help us very uh, well to put everything into its right perspective. This world can be a messy place. It can be full of disappointments. I, 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 I don't want to be all negative because there are a lot of blessings, a lot of wonderful things, a lot of joys and, and happinesses that, that hurt, uh, happen along the way. And we don't need to be dour and we don't need to be down on all of this, but we, uh, we know that, that uh, there's a lot of, of uh, difficulty and hassle. And it's good to know that we're moving through all of that and at the end of it, all of that hassle, all of that pain, all of that trouble, all of that annoyance, it all falls away and leaves us behind. Because we will finally arrive at our destination. Then we'll be pilgrims no more because we'll belong in that world. But right now, the way to look at it is strangers and pilgrims. As such, Peter tells us to abstain from fleshly lusts. Abstain from fleshly lusts. So again, you see a benefit of understanding yourself in this way. If you are someone who doesn't belong, in a sense, in this world, then it helps you to have a sense of belonging to God, belonging to his kingdom, kingdom, his uh, world, 
his family. And that will help you, that will help me to walk in the way that he wants us to do. What does he want us to do here? Abstain. Stop. Fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Now, the soul here means the whole person. Okay, it doesn't just mean the, the, the spirit. It means the whole person, uh, body and soul. Okay? And that makes sense because we know from reading Paul in Romans and we know from our own experience that uh, these bodies of ours certainly make sinning much easier, don't they? With their five senses, and they seem to be trained on you know, sin and enticement and um, picking up on all of the different things that pollute us or can pollute us in this world. They seem ready-made for it. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe it's that these sins, these pollutions, these enticements, these temptations are made for the kind of bodies that we have. And we are body and soul. And so our whole person is involved in this pilgrimage. And in, so, uh, in, in the same way, our whole person is involved in making sure that we are, as much as possible, unspotted by the world as we live in the world. And this means a daily mindset of watching for these fleshly lusts, of abstaining from them, of avoiding them. One commentator puts it well. Flee out of earshot from these enticements. Be prepared to move away. Be prepared to to get away from them. Be on the alert If you'll turn to Proverbs chapter 4, there's a great passage in here which is most helpful. I've gone to this many times myself and I've recommended it uh, as well to many people. Verse uh, 14 of chapter 4 of Proverbs. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Do you see that? Do not enter it. Do not walk in that way. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn away and pass on. Or go the other direction is the idea. That's radical. You're not going to do that if you are mindlessly living your lives in this world thinking that you're at home here, thinking that you're going to go through this world without accumulating the dross and the sin that the world just has all around it. You have to have the kind of mindset that says, look, if I live a, a day in this world, I'm going to accumulate a days of, day of the world's filth. And I need to have the mindset 
to make sure that as I live in this world, this wicked world, as Paul calls it, that I'm aware of the different enticements, the different uh, sins that I could be drawn into. Abstain from fleshly lust. This is a wicked world. And it would be easier if this world was like Mordor, for the Lord of the Rings fans, you know, thick smoke in the air, orcs all over the place. You know, you knew you had to hide from these things. You knew the big eye was looking at you and so on. So you'd be on your alert all the time. But this world doesn't present itself very often that way. It presents itself as a very welcoming place. A nice, pretty, an inviting place. And of course, you know, because it's created by God, it is that way. But that is the, it is the realm of the devil and of his minions. And we need to be careful as we pass through it day by day. So we're to abstain from these lusts. Having your conduct, verse 12, honorable among the Gentiles. This is, uh, again, one of those passages that uh, shows that this could be, First Peter could really have in mind as its primary audience, Christian Jews. Do you see? Because he's talked about Gentiles here. But we can just look at Gentiles as uh, the world generally. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. That when they speak against you as evil workers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Good conduct, good works. Good conduct comes out of good character. Maybe I should have said that. Good character. But have your conduct honorable. Make sure that as you step out into the world, (laughs) this unbelieving place, make sure that you are ready to conduct yourself as Christ wants you to. In a way that honors your Father in heaven. In other words, don't be unprepared for the day. Take some time to pray. Take some time to read or meditate on a piece of scripture. Just take a little time aside for your soul. Because there is an honorable, a good, a proper way to behave in an unbelieving world. You don't have to behave like everybody else. As a Christian, as somebody who is passing on to the kingdom of God, conduct yourself as a child of the kingdom. It says that when they speak against you as evildoers, which means that they will speak against you as evildoers. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when, do you see? When. So people are going to say things about you. 
We're living in times where um, the world has completely thrown off Christian morals and Christian ethics and a Christian idea of how what life is about and how we're to conduct ourselves and what is uh, right and what is wrong. We're now living in uh, a world where um, many people think it's perfectly right, perfectly okay to tell young children, for example, that uh, if it's a boy, that they can be a girl. If they're a girl, they can be a boy. And they can even, it's perfectly all right to, to have surgery. And they have no qualms about that, about telling kids that. My wife went to the library uh, last month to get some books out for, uh, uh, for Anne. And uh, there was a whole lot of this stuff, propaganda, telling kids, these books, colorful books, telling kids that it's up to them. They can make the choice. They can make the choice about what they are, who they are, how to identify. They, they're five and six years old. They don't even know how to walk across the road without help. That's the kind of devilishness that's going on in the world, corrupting the minds of young people and not thinking about how is this lack of rootedness in who you are, how's that going to affect them down the road? I tell you how it's going to affect them. It's going to mess them up big time. And these blue-haired political activists who are uh, behind this kind of stuff, they're not going to be there to help. They'll be on to their next cause. I just say that as an example of the wickedness that's around us. But there's a way of disagreeing with that, not being disagreeable, but a way of conducting ourselves in this world so that, yes, people like that are going to talk about us as evildoers, bigots, racists, genophobes, whatever phobes. They're great at making up these new names, these new labels. That's going to happen. We have got to make sure that we know enough about God's uh, ethic, the Christian ethic, the Christian way of conducting ourselves, the Christian way of living in this life, that when people see us, yes, they may label us as evildoers, but at some point, God is going to get the glory out of our witness. They may, he continues, by your good works which they observe. Here's the thing. Are they observing in your life, in my life? Are unbelievers observing these good works? They're done for God. It's not just that you're helping old ladies across the street. It's not just that you're volunteering here and there. It's that you're doing it for the Lord. They're observing you. 
will God get the glory out of your life? Because you want him to, don't you? Because he's watching us as we we uh, go through our life, as we uh, we're on our own pilgrimage, and as we pursue that uh, goal of the kingdom of God, the celestial city, the place that God's called us to and saved us to, people should watch us and see that there's something different about them. This is a Christian. He is heavenly minded. He's focused on where he's going. They may despise our belief that uh, God created boys and girls, you know, Adam and Eve. They may despise our view of sin and salvation. What they shouldn't be able to despise is the way that we live our lives. And God, you see, God is the one who should get the glory. Now, when does he get the glory? This is important. What does Peter say here? God does not get the glory by by people looking at your life, not in this context anyway, by people looking at your life and saying, oh, isn't that Christian a good person? Oh, that shows me that there's a God or, it, it, you know, it shows me that I, I need to glorify God. That's not what Peter's talking about in this context. Rather, what he's talking about is when you finish your journey and when God has decided to roll up this history and bring in his kingdom at that time of judgment, the time of visitation, the time when people have to answer to God for their attitudes and for their unbelief, at that time, your witness that was observed will either give God glory or not. They will have to confess these unbelievers. Yes, I saw that. I heard that from that Christian. Do you see? I noticed that. They were a witness to me of something that was different, something that was righteous. And God will get the glory from your life. So you, you see, you have an opportunity to glorify God as you live day by day just by telling yourself that you're a stranger and you're a pilgrim, you belong to God and you're going to live for God. And something that isn't in the text, but it's already been brought up and it's going to be brought up again, you will be rewarded by God because you glorified him in your life. And God who sees the heart, God who reads the thoughts, he will know whether you have this mindset in your, in your uh, life, in your everyday preoccupations of whether you are a child of heaven or whether you're a child of earth. And he will reward that mindset too. 
Because if you think that you are rooted to this world, this life, just like every other unbeliever, then you're not living in faith. Faith is not dictating anything to you. If, however, you live in this life, going through this life, knowing that you're passing through, going to your long home, that God is watching you, God has saved you, if you are doing that, well then, you see, you are living by faith, aren't you? And faith is dictating your thoughts. And that glorifies God. The devil hates that. He hates, can you imagine being the devil? And seeing a Christian who is determined among all of the enticements, upon, uh, 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 among all of the different distractions that he's created, that you refuse to be drawn, that you have this attitude of, no, I'm on my way, I know who I am, I know where I'm going, I know who saved me, I know that I'm passing through. Manny would hate that. You'd be a real annoyance to him. Well, that's what I'm commending. As I close this sermon, be the kind of Christian that glorifies God and annoys the heck out of the devil. So that in the day of visitation, the day of judgment, people, unbelievers, will say, yeah, I saw that person. I saw you. And I had a witness to something that was different and something that was better. And that will glorify God. And God will be pleased with you for that witness. You're a temporary resident. You're a resident alien. You're on your way. Remind yourself, remind each other of that central truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as Peter begins this uh, series of exhortations in this section of his letter, help us, Lord, to um, always constantly go back to this understanding of the temporary nature of our existence here, of the fact that our citizenship is elsewhere, that, Lord, we have the entrance papers to the eternal kingdom, They are kept for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are bound and determined, whatever happens in this life, to keep on towards the celestial city. In Christ's name, amen.